Hi there. Welcome to She Said, She Said. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, I'm Laura Cox Kaplan, and I'm so happy to have you here. Today, I'm welcoming a very special guest. Her name is Gay Gaddis. Gay is a trailblazer in the world of advertising and marketing. She's the founder of an Austin-based company called T3. She founded T3 with $16,000 in her pocket that she had gained from cashing in an IRA, and she grew that company to be a firm of national significance and one of the few owned by a woman. She since sold the firm just last fall and is pivoting into some other work where she, like so many of our guests that we talked to on She Said, She Said, are working to take their knowledge and pay it forward. What is especially unique about Gay is how she thinks about what's made her successful, this notion of something she calls cowgirl power. A couple of years ago, she added an additional line to her resume with the publication of a book that she entitled Cowgirl Power, How to Kick Ass in Business and in Life. It really is a summation of her philosophy behind her success, decision-making, resilience, really all of those factors. I know you're going to love this conversation. Her advice is practical. It's down to earth. For me personally, it really resonates. Um, I am a fellow Texan like Gay. Uh, we both grew up in small towns in Texas. And so a lot of her advice really resonates very personally with me. And I hope that it will with you as well. So I'm thrilled to welcome her to the podcast today. Gay Gaddis, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you, Laura. It's great to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you, and I'm so excited to talk about this concept of cowgirl power. Why don't we like start with that? What does it mean? When you refer to this concept of cowgirl power, what is that? It has two meanings, really. Uh, the first part of it is that I'm a believer that power doesn't come in a top-down kind of way. It's not the almost uh, unfortunate way that a lot of people think of power as authoritarian and I'm in charge kind of thing. Uh, it's a power that you learn from within and it grows from within. And I'm asking people as I explore and read the book to really think about all the times in their entire lives that they felt powerful. And then you learn from those experiences and it builds your confidence. And that confidence is what allows you to have that power to get through all kinds of things. So that's, that's the real meaning of cowgirl power. It's that tapping into the inner strength that you have and we all have it. Yeah. Uh, the other part is that along the way, you know, I grew up as a cowgirl in Southeast Texas and I always admired cowgirls girls and so I did a lot of research at the Cowgirl Museum in Fort Worth, Texas and really became reacquainted with some of the most amazing women that any of us could have ever known or met and they were the historic cowgirls that lived in the late 1800s and competed in very 
dangerous competitions many times against uh-huh. men. And so I highlight them throughout the book because it's a bit like the movie or the story of hidden figures. You know, we didn't really know about those women, but yet they had a powerful influence on something very important. And a lot of the women that I write about in the book, and, and again, they're short vignettes before each chapter, uh, are inspirational women that I want us to know about. And I don't want them to be left out of the history books, and many of them were. So they're in there to give us courage and inspiration and ideas. Yeah, I thought it was so interesting the way that you were able to weave their stories into your own. At what point did it resonate with you that this was the way to pay? I mean, you knew you were going to write a book. You knew you wanted to pay your advice and knowledge forward to help other people. But at what point did you realize, wow, I should really tie this together with these cowgirls and with this notion of cowgirl power? This is an interesting question because my greatest critic in this entire world and also my greatest friend is my husband. And so as we- As they uh, often are, right? (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, And he can call it like he sees it with me and that's the way it is. But he kept saying, Gay, how are you going to shoehorn these cowgirls into this story of you starting an ad agency in your life and all this stuff? And I said, I'm determined to put them in there because I want this to be about the grit, determination, and again, that that wild spirit that these women must have had to have done things that no other women were doing. And I want them to be examples. And I was a cowgirl growing up. I mean, I started riding horses when I was five years old. And, you know, by the time I was six, I was working cattle uh, in rice fields with my godfather. So I love horses. I love what they teach us. I think the relationship between sometimes a, a, a girl or a woman and her horse is very, very interesting. And so there's something about that thread that has gone through my life. I've had mm-hmm. horses all my life. And uh, my daughter is even a, a great equestrian. As we speak today, she just won a, a third place ribbon in a hundred jumper show in Chicago. So yeah. uh, it's, it's something that I think is really a, a good metaphor for mm-hmm. life as well. Yeah. And, and so I just was determined to put them in there and we did it. Yeah. <laughs> and my no, publisher liked it. So I said, okay, let's go for it. It's very clever and it's very practical down to earth advice. And it really, I think, underscores this notion of how you build resilience. So, so for someone, for a woman who's reading this or maybe a, a, you know, a younger girl who's just launching her career, thinking about this notion of resilience, how does she get it without the experience of sort of what you experienced, right? Not everybody has privileged enough to grow up in Texas like you and I were. So what do you recommend for maybe parents who are raising girls to develop that resilience or women that are launching their careers? Like where does that come from, Kay? comes from making mistakes and getting out there and getting your knees dusty and beat up sometimes. And so, you know, for parents, I would just say, give your children a chance to experiment with things, to learn things, to not be dangerous, but, but, you know, I always let our children do things that were a little risky and they have to take risks and they have to learn from the risk. If it doesn't work and they do have a setback or whatever, you, you talk about it and you learn from that because those mistakes is what teaches us how to do the right thing the next time. But you let your moral compass inside you and your gut guide you. And even a young person starts to have those gut right and wrong feelings. It's that compass inside you and you've got to start listening to that really early in life and throughout your life as you have more experiences and you do understand 
how the yin and yang of things work, that uh, your gut's going to get much more accurate and stronger. So I would just say, get out there, try things, explore, yeah. you know, make, make a few mistakes. And if you don't take a risk and if you don't jump out there, you'll miss out on the good stuff. And uh, it's one of the things I talk about in my book. It's called Everything is Sweetened by Risk. And it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have to be a little more uh, willing to do that. Some people are very risk averse. And I understand that there's certain personality types that are not the big risk takers. But if you'll take little ones along the way, then you build up. And again, all these things start to build confidence. And we need the confidence to get through tough times. And if you don't have those things under your belt, then it's really hard to face up to the big challenges. Yeah. And it's, you know, it can be really hard for parents to let their children really make those mistakes early on, right? This, this, this idea of helicoptering and protecting kids from all kinds of mistakes. And, you know, that's where you learn. So, you know, it sounds like to me, you're, it's really underscoring this notion of how you were raised. And part of that was growing up in a smallish town, right? Liberty, Texas is not a, not a very large place, or at least it wasn't at the time. How much of that? It still is it. <laughs> how much of that um, informs uh, your experience, and sort of what, what what have you taken away from growing up in a small town? What did it mean to you? It made me have to be extremely honest and authentic, because you know this. Growing up in a small town, everyone knows what's going on anyway. Right. So why go over here and try to be something you're not? Because everyone knows right through you they'll see through the whole thing and I have a funny section in my book about the time that my friend and I stayed up really late at night and we had packed bags of toilet paper and shredded paper and all this stuff and went and toilet papered or we call it wrapped the quarterback of the football team's front yard <laughs> came back and we thought we were so sneaky and stealth that we had done this at 3 a.m. <laughs> it was already being talked about at Lale's Diner the next morning as they poured the first cup of coffee because some of the, someone in the neighborhood had seen us looking out the window at 3 a.m. I guess had insomnia. But uh, yeah, so you don't, you don't get by with much in a small town. And it really taught me that, guess what? You got to be true to who you are and you got to tell the truth and be honest. And just because you'll be smoked out at some point and uh, it's really served me well uh, in my life because I'm just kind of trying to be who I am and and uh, tell it like it is yeah yeah let's talk about parlaying this wisdom into business you started out in advertising and then very fairly quickly I think pivoted to deciding that you needed to start your own firm. Maybe tell me a little bit about that story, how you got your start and how you decided to start T3. Well, I did work for some other companies and I got a lot of wisdom and knowledge from that. So anyone who's out there who wants to be an entrepreneur or start your company, I could say, if you've got the great idea, go do it now. But sometimes it's good to learn from other people because you'll learn the good things and, and you'll learn the mistakes. And so it helps you again to build that confidence and know that you can do something. But in 1989, we were faced with a very difficult economy, uh, not quite like what we've seen recently, but it was very bad. And, uh, and so Texas was particularly hit. The company I was working for uh, lost a lot of clients and our budgets were reduced drastically. So I wrote a business plan to turn the company around. And I thought it was great. 
but I made a fatal mistake, and that was that I did not bring the president of the company along with me. So note to everyone, if you're going to make change and you're going to be the agent of change in an organization, you got to bring the right people along because you'll meet with resistance if you don't. So that's what happened. He decided, he said, I'm not going to support your plan. And I was humiliated and furious and decided at that moment, I ran back down the hall and I quit. And I didn't even know what I was going to do, Laura. I didn't wow. have a plan. I just knew I couldn't stay. Yeah. So and you I had three little kids at home too. Oh yeah, three kids. My husband's job was he wasn't making much money. I'd taken budget cuts. Everything we were at, on this real thin line of risk. I mean, very thin line. But I decided, you know what? I believe in my plan, and I'm going to go do this. So I had sixteen thousand dollars in a retirement account, and I cashed it in, and that's how I started my company. Amazing. I hired two people. I didn't try to do it completely alone. I got two brave souls to go along with me, and I had bought three clients, and I paid a percentage of the profits back to my former company because I took three clients with me that were going anyway, mm -hmm. and that's how I started the agency in 1989 in sleepy little old Austin, Texas, because nothing was going on much in Austin but the University of Texas and state government, so yeah. uh, it wasn't exactly the mecca of advertising at the time, but we made it work. That's amazing. Talk a little bit about in the book, that big break that you got with Dell computers and you tie it to, which I really love a coyote analogy <laughs> about how you got in really, really became, um, uh, you, you became the entity that Dell needed that, you know, they may not have realized it right at first that they needed you, but ultimately you became indispensable to them. Talk, explain that a little bit. Share that analogy with our listeners. Okay. Well, I, like I said, I grew up in the country and sometimes nature can be a little brutal, but it is what it is. And um, if you ever see a, a coyote kill a prey, kill its prey, what it will do, and even a larger game does this too they'll usually start eating from the weak underbelly <laughs> it's the easiest place to enter and then they before you know what they're in and they eat and they eat and then all of a sudden they're beating the whole body and so this was all this kind of was a business philosophy for me you know being small and not being this big mega agency we couldn't go in and have a frontal attack you know on a major corporation and say hey hire us so what we would do and the Dell story is just like this what we would do is we would somehow make a connection get in and say let us solve one of your problems let us solve this small problem so a client was always much more willing to give us a project you know something to start with because it wasn't like turning over the whole strategy and marketing budget to us so we would go in and like the coyote eat a little bit from the underbelly and before you would know it we would end up with more and more and more and then became a key player. Um, this happened to us over and over again and Dell was a perfect example of that. They were about the only thing going in Austin that was really home based in Austin at the time my company was just starting to take off and so that relationship changed us forever. We learned because I'll never forget the day that I was sitting in a meeting and it was around the very early part of 1994 and Michael Dell walked into a meeting that I was in and he said we're going to start selling on the internet because it perfectly fits our direct model and he was right it did. We learned how to do it with Dell. I mean lockstep together the teams came to uh, into projects and we learned how to tap this thing called the internet mm -hmm. that became our trojan horse from then on because i could go into other companies and say 
here's a proven result and a way that we can help increase your sales and get you closer to your customers through these types of activities. Mm -hmm. And they were all online digital based. And um, it was something that a lot of agencies weren't willing to do and didn't have the knowledge around. And we did. So, you know, even big agencies sometimes would partner with us because they knew that we could, we could power that internet piece of it. And that's what helped us grow. And it was really transformational for your business. It absolutely was. And so many, like I said, so many agencies were not, didn't want to do it. They thought they called internet the same thing as what the old direct marketing agencies used to be. They just sent tons of direct mail. They, the, the major agencies called all those activities below the line. And that meant it wasn't the cool stuff basically because television broadcast, you know, uh, the sexy, beautiful magazine spreads, those were real advertising and what we were doing. And we still did a lot of that for our clients. We weren't, we didn't give that up, but we were just fascinated with what was going on from a technology boom and where we could see that really help us measure our clients' uh, results because that was part of the, going back to my business plan, it was a very simple statement that I wanted to do incredibly award-winning work, but I wanted to be able to measure everything. The advent of the internet really blew up everything for me because it let us measure things for the first time in a way that we'd never seen that kind of transparency uh, and exactly what activities were getting the results that we were looking for or not. You know, I talk about making mistakes. Well, you could learn quickly if something wasn't working and you'd make the mid- corrections and move on where in a lot of traditional advertising you could run a campaign for months and not really know exactly where you were going with it and spend millions of dollars but we knew within a day or two you know if something we were doing was effective yeah it's amazing it's really amazing another pretty unique aspect and I think you were way ahead of your time in, in this regard but thinking about diversity and not necessarily, although it, it, it includes this as well, not necessarily just diversity of race and religion, but diversity of skill set and perspective and thought and opinion. You were a person who embraced that notion very early. Why was that important to sort of state the obvious? Well, now everyone, that's all we talk about. But right. uh, for me, it was a way to build kick-ass teams. And that's what I had to do. Fortunately for me, and one of those jobs I had before starting my company, I worked with four guys who'd gotten their MBAs at Harvard. And we had a management consulting firm that I worked in. I learned a lot from them about really getting to know your strengths and weaknesses. So we did testing, we did assessments and all those things for our clients as well as I went through all that myself. I got a really strong sense early on and I was 24 years old. So I really was, it was good. I was young in my career and kind of got this stuff. So I found out what I was good at and what I wasn't. Once I started my company, I knew from the get-go that I had to surround myself with people that shored up my weaknesses. And so to do that, you have to have diverse thinking. You have to have diverse ideas. You have to have people with different skill sets. And Laura, the thing that is interesting uh, is that given an open playing field, and you're not thinking about that, we all tend to go to people like ourselves. So that's why all diversity becomes a bit uh, difficult for, for all of us because I'm going to go to someone who looks like me, thinks like me, acts like me. That's the first comfort zone we go to. Mm -hmm. Anyone with the same personality type as me, I get along with great. 
I mean, we can yuck it up and have fun all day long, but to really get things done and to be effective and to come up with the most innovative, best thinking, you've got to put people around the table or on the team that are going to come at it from different directions. And that's where the magic happens. And I knew I wasn't good at a lot of things. And so I just kind of said, okay, I'm not good at that. That's okay. And so many of us beat ourselves up our entire lives about, oh, if I could only be better at that, if I could only do this better, if I could learn to do that, that's okay. You can hone your skills, but if you're innately not wired up to be good at something, then why put yourself at that? Get the people around you. Put And a team can be anything from family members to best friends to what I call in the book rough riders, people who will you know, tell you what they really think and give you different ways of looking at things. And that's where, again, the excitement comes from. So we built kick-ass teams that way. And I was just absolutely diligent about it that, you know, I loved giving Myers-Briggs to everybody. And you know, we, we all went through it and, and we all talked about it. And it was a way to make sure that we were putting people on teams that could bring different perspectives. Yeah, no, it's, it's great advice. I want to drill into one thing that you said around this notion that you can't be good at everything. And I think sometimes we get hung up on uh, which things to work on, which things to fix versus how much to double down on what we already do well. What's your advice for getting that balance right, right? We're not, we're not going to be good at everything, right? So how do you know and how did you advise your teams and, and even thinking about your own, own career journey, how, did you know, how do you know which things to work on? Well, you know, we, we have areas that, and, and again, I would recommend to everyone, if you don't, have not taken some, some type of a personality assessment, it's really good to do that. And, you know, I always assume that people have done this, but I find people in their 30s and 40s and 50s even who've really not grasped this. And so I say start there and really understand what it is. And what you want to do in life is to find out what your real strengths are. What are you really good at from what's your natural tendencies and you think about the situations you're in how many times can you eclipse your strengths with the situation the more those two things eclipse the more success you're going to have in the meantime while you're building people around you who are going to watch those blind sides you have and who can guide you in the ways that you do not know for you to be successful you've got to really get ahead your head around that and so what are the things to fix? Well, you know, I know that I have certain weaknesses and it's okay. I, you know, I finally, I gave myself a break on that. There's things I'm not really good at and I just don't even worry about it. Uh, but I will say this, if you do have a strength or you do have a talent, uh, whatever that may be, you've got to put in the hard work to get really good. It doesn't, you just, I mean, some people are naturals at things and it's easier for them and that's okay. But if you really want to be at the top of your game, really good, there is no substitution for hard work and the time it takes. And the old joke about how do you get to Carnegie Hall, you know, practice, practice, practice. Well, that's true. Uh, You know, if you want to be really competent at something, you have got to put in the time and the energy and the effort. And you can learn anything. I'll say, if you want to nowadays, especially with the learning online and all that, but start with where you're already strong and then really work on those things. Leave the other behind and don't worry about that. Yeah. Talk about where confidence comes from and how confidence is connected to this notion of competence. You talk a little bit about this in the book. Confidence comes from 
what I was just talking about. This is a perfect segue into that. Um, we, we get confidence little, in little places along the way. And if you're a younger person or if you watch your children, um, the times that they do something on their own or they feel really good about something, or even if someone helped them but they had a little victory, their soccer team won their match, you know, they got a good grade in school, or they were selected to be in the school play, you know, all these things start to build, you know, because once you do that and you get through those moments and you have some degree of success, that's where these little buds of confidence start and they grow and grow and, and in our in the book and as I started writing it I had to go back and start thinking a little bit about what were the times in my life where I started feeling confident you take those moments of confidence and then you put the learning on top of it and the hard work that I was talking about uh, when I was confident because I did that that must have meant that I was good at that or that was something that was part of my personality. Like for me, you know, uh, being the lead in the school play in the first grade, I liked that, you know, and it was a little scary, but I did it and I did fine. And I realized probably in that moment that I liked being out in front of people, uh -huh. you know, and being on a stage was not going to be the scariest thing for me. And so here I am today, you know, making speeches to all these hundreds of people and probably all goes back to the first grade play. So you go back and you think, when did I feel good? When did I feel confident? And you build on that and build on it. And then you finally say, gosh, I'm competent at that. Yeah. I've, I've earned competency because I know I'm good at it. Yeah. In the book, you've got a number of uh, really elements of a toolkit. And one of the things that really jumped out at me is this notion of a timeline for your life and something you refer to as a treasure map. I've never heard it described quite this way. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what that is, how you do that, and, and what advice you can give for people about why that matters. Because I, I know too, and I'd love for you to tie it back into how you grew the company based on this timeline concept as well. Yes. Um, timeline in your life is a really important thing, and I call it a treasure map because it's like following this map along that's going to lead you to that next treasure. And we have to redo this. <laughs> so I'm not suggesting that, okay, I can go timeline my life tomorrow and that done. You know, <laughs> it's something we, re we redo over and over in our lives. But the reason you do it, and it, it doesn't, don't get intimidated by it. You know, you start with some sticky notes and you put down some ideas about, well, what would I like to be doing? And what do I really enjoy? And where do I want to give back? Or what do I want to learn? What do I want my partner to do? Um, what do I want my kids to do? And how, and then ask them. And so it becomes kind of an effort. You start by yourself, but then you bring in those significant people in your life and you work on it together. But the thing about timelining your life, if you don't do this, I guarantee if you don't write down those goals and those aspirations that you have, you won't do the things it takes to get it done. Now, very simple example. If I wanted to go live in Spain for a year, I should probably start taking some Spanish lessons. You know, that would, even though people speak English everywhere. I mean, if I want to really be in a culture, I should probably do those things. And that's a very simple example, but you get my point. If I want to do a certain thing, uh, if for me, and you bring it back to the business, if we wanted to scale and grow the business, what was that going to take? And my husband and I were very specific about that. Uh, and it meant 
that at some point I was going to have to leave the comfort of my region and my hometown and get out to grow the business on a larger scale. We had our children in mind and I didn't want to be gone all the time when they were growing up. I wanted to be a plane ride away so I could get home most nights. Uh, but once our senior in high school was about to leave for college, the plan was on the wall. I mean, we'd written it down. Guy's going to go do these things. And then one thing leads to another, but I was out on the road at national conferences, talking to potential clients, being around people who could influence a, an opportunity for us. And so had we not written that down and known when that was going to happen and committed that that's what we were going to do, we would have held the company back. Mm -hmm. And I did hold it back for a while on purpose because I knew that that would mean I was going to be gone a lot. And yeah. so during those years where we were really growing the company and putting high powered, you know, new business engine on, uh, I was gone a, a whole lot and yeah. I've been gone a lot. Now I'm home a bit <laughs> and it's been interesting how to adjust to that. But um, my husband said our uh, relationship has flourished all these years because I was gone about half the time but uh, no not really we get along great but uh, it, it's interesting though that um, you, if you don't write down the things that's what I'm saying mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be these big audacious goals that I want to grow the company to millions and I want to have all these people and all that but again it's in all aspects of your life so mm -hmm. the treasure map is my, it's, it's the different buckets of your life. You know, it's, it's personal, it's your own uh, personal development, it's your family, it's your relationships, it's your business or your career, or maybe a nonprofit that you really want to devote time to. But if you, again, write it down and put it in a timeline, when do you think that's going to happen? And, uh, and then the cool thing is you go back and you pick it up again and see what progress you've made. Yeah. And, oh, well, I really shouldn't have done it that way. And this is why I made this correction. But again, it's really rewarding to do this and it's not easy. So that's why I'm just saying, start off simple, just put a few things up, you know, and then one thing will lead to another and it starts to come together into a working document, working timeline, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You, you said something uh, that, that I want to, I want to pick up on. You, you've mentioned we several times, our treasure map, you know, we, we worked on this timeline together and you talk about in the book, the importance of involving your other family members. I mean, you can start with it on a personal level, but then it's really important to make sure that you've got everybody's priorities and everybody understands what your priorities are, including your partner or your husband or your spouse, whoever that person may be. Talk about why that's important. Well, they're, they're along the trail with you. <laughs> and if they don't understand and don't buy in and, and you don't consider what their goals are as right. well, then you might be at odds with one another. And you've got to work through those things. And sometimes that leads to what I call fierce conversations. Because what if I had really wanted to grow the business uh, and wanted to do that and my husband and my kids said, no, we don't want you to do that. We'd rather you be here or whatever the discussion mm -hmm. might mm -hmm. be. And then this also translates into your team. Mm -hmm. So the teams have to have these kind of timelines or management team too. And I always tried to bring along my management team and made sure that they were buying into where we, where I thought we could go. And I wanted their input too. What, what else can we do? What are going to be the barriers? And, you know, 
what are uh, what opportunities are we missing here and so it kind of goes into every place that you have relationships but the big big picture the big treasure map is with those people who are most close to you but again for me my management team was about as close as family and yeah. and I wanted to bring them with me in in this journey and uh, wanted their input and their guidance as well so it it's how it works you know for those those spheres of influence that we have around us and bringing that closer into together yeah you as of last fall actually sold the business and you are transitioning and pivoting into other things for those folks that are joining us on youtube and if you're listening to us i hope you'll pivot over to the YouTube channel and check this out. But Gay is sitting in front of some amazing landscapes that are her own creations. So art has been also a part of your life since, I mean, you were a young girl, you got a uh, scholarship to the University of Texas, an art scholarship. Talk a little bit about this life pivot that you've made. I want to start with the selling of the business. And was that something that was part of your plan? Was it hard to let go of that? Talk, talk us through a little bit of that particular transition. Um, I never built T3 to sell. And that changed the decisions we made all along the way. Uh, there are a lot of companies that are really started almost from the get-go to sell. That's the ambition and that's the goal. And so you make different financial decisions, hiring decisions, all, all kinds of overhead decisions and all those things. Um, other companies get to a point and they have to sell. And I know a lot of people who've kind of found themselves at the end of the, their rope and there's nowhere to turn and how are they gonna get out of the business? And so they get forced into a sale that's not really a good deal for them and it's, it's painful. Um, so we had a family meeting almost part of the timeline story and our family gets together my children are adults now and our oldest son works in the business and we all decided that and this was a couple years ago that it was maybe time because we were on a real high note things were going well uh, I was on the road a lot already I was out doing my book tour and I wasn't in the office every day so I'd already started kind of easing out of the day-to-day -day operations and um, so we said well let's just go to a professional broker and see what what's out there you know why not mm -hmm. and if we don't want to do it and we don't like what we see we'll walk away we don't have to sell we're not desperate we don't have to do this and so we did and one thing led to another and we had a lot of interest in the company a lot uh, overwhelming um, because we were really you know a great company yeah. still is um, and so we ended up making a deal and sold the business it closed last end of october and yeah in a lot of ways it was like that was my baby for right. almost 31 years and you know i've grown it from nothing to to what it became and and so there was a, a lot of my identity a lot of my who i um, cared about the things my clients all those things were it was a difficult thing but i decided the best thing to do for me was to make a hard cut and not stay in you know kind of a half in half out and so we did now i look back and timing is everything and it turned out to be an excellent time to close that deal because as you know, uh, all those things right now are, are really very, very uh, difficult to pull off during during these tough times. So sure. it turned out to be good. And it was honestly kind of a nice way for me to exit because I had done what I wanted to do at T3. Right. I, you know, I really, my, my, my passion for it was there and I still love 
everything about it, but it was, I had done what I wanted to do. So yeah. sometimes we have to close chapters and move on. Yeah. Um, so now I'm really more, I'm very interested in my art career. It's, it, it took off with a one woman show in New York in 2016. We've had subsequent shows. I just sold a painting to a very prestigious, um, facility in New York, which I cannot name, but uh, there's a lot of interest for my work. I love doing it. During this pandemic, I have spent a lot more time painting and exploring, and it's been a good outlet for me. I love it. Um, but it's a business, you know, I, I've yeah. painted well. Uh, and I'm also really focused on, I love through my book and book tour, knowing what is helping people and advice that I can give. And so we are working on some webinars. We had our first one July 15th. I have another one July 29th, another one August 15th, and there'll be more things after that. But I want to continue teaching and doing a lot of work around leadership training mm -hmm. and people who aspire to be leaders. It's a tough calling, but it's a noble calling. Yeah. And uh, it's something that I am really passionate about and want to share my knowledge and keep learning with uh, people who want to come on that journey with me. Yeah, Gay, talk for a second about the topics that you're tackling in those webinars, because I thought the titles of those, which I had made a note here, I know you know them off the top of your head, but there were some interesting topics, leading in troubled times, power of, of connection and networking, creating a kick-ass team. Talk a little bit about what you're sort of hoping to impart on the people that participate and, and what level people you're, you're attracting. Well, it's very interesting because it's it's kind of attracting people in different timelines in their life. You know, it's uh, not just one age group or one thing, just like the book. It's starting to eclipse many generations. But what I was looking for in all this is to, again, be able to impart some of the wisdom that I have of literally going through a lot of these things before. So in leading in tough times, I haven't been through something exactly like this, but I have been through some very tough times. And so I was able to talk about how to get through that stuff and how to have the courage and resiliency to make it and the grit it takes. So we did that one. I think it went really well. The next one is something that I have, I love. It, it's about connections. And I call it connections, not networking. A lot of people have programs on networking and how you just, to me, it's not doing it that way. It's a, it's making connections that, can be effective in helping people. That's where it really starts. And if you're connecting always with the idea of what can I do to help somebody else, you would be amazed how that starts to come back to you. And it's knowing people, I'm a master connector. I love it. I just love saying, oh, this person can do this with this, or maybe this is an opportunity here, or I can figure out for that client or that consumer how to make things better by pushing these two people together. So uh, we're going to talk a lot about that in this next one and how to do it and why it's important and what it is. Uh, and the last one is we've talked a little bit about this earlier, but it's how to build those kick-ass teams and why that is the nexus and the core of survival of new business, of how it all works together to really enrich your life enrich the companies you're in by knowing how to put together the right people at the right time and getting teams that enjoy working together and really accomplish a lot. Because, you know, if we all look back on our careers and lives, those are the things that I remember the most. Right. The times that we stood, you know, in Times Square with our Dell team and had this huge launch of a campaign. I'll never forget that night, you know, and that was all done because of a wonderful team. And uh, I remember everyone on that team and how we worked together and who played what parts. And so it's always about how do you build that team? Could be a small team. 
could be, and you know, I'm also saying the book that I'm not looking to say you have to be a CEO or you have to, you know, start a company or you have to be, you know, really focused on business. There are other things we do in our lives that are very important. And for moms who stay at home and really are great moms, I think that's a wonderful calling uh, for a lot of people who are the backbone of our communities by volunteering and taking care of people or doing things that are not necessarily in the limelight, but they're, they're very important, very important figures to us all. Uh, those are the kinds of things too that you want to say, how do we build teams in those situations that really allow us to do our best work. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. I want to go back to uh, talk a little bit about your art. Was it something, I know it's been with you forever, but was it something that you had continued to do or did you kind of put it aside while you were building the business? My guess is you didn't have a lot of time to paint the way that you do now, but maybe talk about the role of having a creative pursuit or something that you maybe do on the side and why that's important for problem solving, et cetera. We talk a lot about this notion of creativity and doing things that spark your creativity to solve problems in other areas of your life. Maybe talk a little bit about the role that painting has played for you. Yeah, um, you know, I started uh, doing art projects when I was a little kid. My mom gave me a paintbrush and some paper with temper paint when I was a little kid, probably about three. And I loved, you know, dabbling with all that. And so one thing led to another, and I got pretty good at it and won awards in high school and all that, which did allow me to go to the University of Texas on a scholarship and major in art. I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Studio Art, which is very very disciplined in art. I mean, it's, it's the true art degree. And so I was trained as an artist. I mean, I went through all, all of it, you know, the drawings and, and the rudimentary background and all of that, uh, even drawing musculature and skeletons and all that stuff before you went to life drawing and learning to paint and learning how colors work and all those things. And so all that, you know, is part of my, my training. But immediately I got out of school and went to work in the advertising industry because I needed to make a living. And, right. you know, very few artists do that. Uh, some do, and it's, it's a tough career. But I did that, went to advertising, one thing led to another. But I, you know, I dabbled a little along the way. You're right, I did not have time. It was something I wouldn't even have dreamed of. You know, I, I was shooting a lot of black and white photography through my career, but I never did really um, do the paintings and the, the real artwork. Only little projects with my kids. You know? yeah. <laughs> if they had to do a, a project at school, I always had fun going, oh yeah, we'll get these posters and do this and that. And so uh, I enjoyed that, but never really serious. Um, and so around two, into 2014, I was at our ranch and I decided that, wow, I have been the house, so to speak, for so many creative people all these years to practice their craft. You know, in an advertising business, it's not fine art, but they're creatives and sure. many of them were artists. And so I felt like, well, I've been, you know, nurtured all these people to have a career in art. Why don't I go back and just see what I can do? And so I bought some canvas and some brushes and paint and I came out to the ranch and bought an easel and just set it up outside and just started messing around, you know, and I was just painting and painting and kind of like this, kind of like that, tried this experiment, that. And one day, all of a sudden, I just got in this groove and something happened. And I called my son who was out here and my husband. I said, come look at this. And they looked and they said, wow, that's, that's really 
cool. I really like this. They said, what, what are you doing? What is it? I said, well, see this guy? I was just painting the sky and I just got lost in it. And all of a sudden I just started doing this. Well, anyway, long story. One thing led to another and I ended up with the show in New York and it was very successful. We sold 22 paintings in a Chelsea Gallery, which was blew me away, but I worked Amazing. really hard to get there. You know, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time to get back in my groove. It didn't come to me overnight. Uh -huh. And it's what I'm saying about the hard work. I still work really hard at it. And I'm a plein air painter. I paint outside a lot. And that means that you're in the heat and the cold and whatever it is. And sometimes it wreaks havoc with your paint, but it's, it's what I do because I want to see, I paint from life and I want to see. And a lot of times I'll, come in after painting all day and just kind of plop down a chair and I, I say to my husband the artist works hard and I do uh it, but it's something that I get a lot of happiness from when I find out that someone says oh I love that painting I want that in my home and then they send me photographs or I want that in my office and I, I see it you know with the lighting on it and and it just thrills me that someone can find joy out of something that I've done yeah. Gabe, where's the best place where people can take a look at your paintings? Is there a website for them we can share in the show notes, perhaps? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, GayGaddis.com has the whole story. It's got my art in there. It's got about the webinars. It's got just about my speaking and just generally what, you know, my, the big topics for me. But you can see a lot of my work and uh, love for people to go take a look. Yeah. We do virtual tours and uh, I sold a big painting not too long ago, literally on a virtual tour, which I'm surprised, but it worked out and we drove the painting and met this couple halfway between Dallas and Austin and they had found me because Texas Monthly named me one of the top 10 artists to collect and so they found me through that and then bought it's amazing. It's amazing. We will include uh, links to Gay's website in the show notes for this episode, episode 112. Gay, I've got one final question for you. Um, we ask everyone for um, a single piece of advice, a life hack, or a mantra. I would love for you to give us that maybe one piece of advice, the one thing that kind of jumps out at you that women can do, and frankly, men too, to really kick ass in business and in life. What is that one thing? Never, ever be down on yourself to the point that you can't do something because it's so easy. And this is what I said earlier, to prey on our own weaknesses. And when we don't have some of the connectivity and some of the things right now through this pandemic, it's really easy to let self-doubt kind of tear you up. So find those power moments, go back to those, go back and say, wow, I do have that power. I do have that confidence. And then let that propel you forward. And I'll say that, you know, sometimes it's hard to stay motivated when you're not in your normal setting or you're in your absolute, you know, groove. But again, this is a time to get to know yourself and know your strengths and do not let that the naysayers and all the doubts and all the negative things take over because being positive and having hope and energy is what everyone's looking for. And if you can be that light and by getting in touch with your inner power, then you will be somebody that people will follow and admire. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure to meet you and to get to talk with you today. You too. You too. I really, really appreciate it. 
Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn a bit more about my guest, Gay Gaddis, check out the show notes for this episode, episode 112. You'll find a link to Gay's website as well as some other information about her. As always, I hope you're enjoying this content with every episode. I think you'll find great insight, perspective, incredible knowledge from these women who are willing to share what they know and pay it forward to help the rest of us. Gay Gaddis is no exception. Check out her book, Cowgirl Power, How to Kick Ass in Business and in Life. Take care of yourself and we'll see you next time. 